What I noticed in our industry is these large publications, they went from saying, hey, we're the Houston Chronicle to being rehearsed digital services. But Houston Chronicle and the Dallas Morning News and the New York Times, and all these daily St. Louis Post-Dispatch, they have such great brand equity that they've just like, they've decided to destroy. I feel like part of it is they don't, they've lost how to sell to local mom and pops. They've lost it. If I'm delivering 70,000 newspapers a day to people who are paying it, that is a lot of value for a local advertiser. But they're not selling it like that anymore. Welcome to season four of Perpetual, where you'll get the hottest takes and insights on what's happening in the constantly shifting world of media and marketing. I'm Adam Ryan. Let's go. All right. Welcome, John. Thanks for thanks for coming on Perpetual. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And I really appreciate all that you're doing for the industry. And it's a it's an honor to be here. I'm an absolute huge fan. And I want to just jump right in and have everyone learn a little bit about Community Impact. I think that for me, it's probably one of my favorite companies in the country. And I was just telling you this before, but out of all the conversations I'm having this season, I think this is the one story that probably needs to be learned and told the most. And I'm excited to dive in. So how did you and your wife, Jennifer, get to start Community Impact? Well, I was, uh, I'm was i a legacy guy. I started the Houston Chronicle, um, always on the ad side. And I was kind of there during the glory years, you know, and um, printing money. And then my wife and I are from Austin, so we wanted to move back like everybody else, right? And so I went to work at the Austin Business Journal. I was the sales director, basically, there. It was my first management job, and I was 26. I always, always wanted to start my own company when I was 30. I, I had, like, these really other ideas, like dry clean. I, I was, was always wanted to be an entrepreneur. But I started noticing, like, things around me where we lived in the suburbs of Austin, things happening around us. I, I kind of like wasn't happy with like the traditional community newspaper about Johnny kicking the winning field goal, all that kind of stuff. And I really loved what we did at the business journal, like smart journalism, but it wasn't really hyper local, right? It was like Austin, you know, and mostly business district, let's be real. And so we lived out there. I was like, Hey, I got this idea. And so I, I penciled out this sh- uh, idea on a sheet of paper and I showed it to Jennifer, who my wife, who, who basically thought all the other ideas were not good for me, <laughs> but I showed her this one. And she's like, that's it. And so you know, a lot of things happen. Um, my faith is a big part of who I am. I, I, I just, as you get to know me, like I, I was doing a lot of prayer and, but I feel like, I feel like God did kind of open up some doors for me at the business journal. Like there was some weird stuff that was happening. We were performing really well, but I felt like it was like, okay, go. And so I, I borrowed $39,000 off of a Southwest airlines visa credit card, 1.9% financing, as long as I didn't go over my $40,000 limit, I had enough background in the business and I had had enough conversations before I left to feel like I could do this. So I left the business journal like July 4th of 2005. We launched our first edition in September of that year. And Game Room of the House story, it was brand new idea. We were gonna mail 60,000 business journal type publications, but with kind of the average citizen in mind, just for free. And it was all gonna be ad supported. So we kind of took that shared ad model like a Valpac or shared free mail model. And we combined it with journalism that we thought was really good instead of like advertorial. And we sent, we mailed the first editions out, not knowing what was going to happen. And we had like $16,000 or sold revenue in the first edition. It cost us about, about 30,000 and boom, we hit, it hit the mailboxes. And we knew that day that we hit a home run 
And one of my favorite stories about that is the next day, Friday, we were a little bit partied up and uh, we celebrated the night before because we didn't know it was going to happen. I mean, I feel like I just, you know, every entrepreneur knows that like you, we didn't have a lot of runway <laughs> cash. And so like, I didn't know if it was going to work. And so we kind of just let loose the night before we start, we karaoke and then I went and met with a, a really influential advertiser in Austin she had really high standards and she took the meeting two weeks before we launched. So I go to meet her with her. I have copies of the product in hand and she says, Hey, you know, our policy is we don't advertise with any new publication. They got to be in business for at least a year. Cause we don't want to you know, take risks. And, um, she saw it. She's like, we're in. And that was, I just knew, I just knew we, we had done it. And, um, so that's the origin story. Every, about every six months we added a new publication. You know, we, we, we saw next door in Cedar park land or they needed a publication and, we kind of just started adding the, it was, it was really working in Austin. We had four or five publications by the time we went to Houston and that, you know, I don't know how much you want me to keep talking, but you know, Houston was a good friend of mine. He also had a strong ad background at the Houston Chronicle. He, he and his wife came up, saw what we were doing. It's like, man, Cypher really needs this in Houston. And I was like, this is 2008. So the recession was, was in full swing and Houston was hit hard. I was like, man, I just don't think this is a good, good time. And he's like, no, we, you know, we think it's a good time. So we did, we, we launched Houston in 2009 and kind of grew it that way. And then of course, you know, you do Dallas, you know, why not? We're in Aussie. You know, so we're in Dallas now we're, we're all over Texas. And I got some, some other stories I can tell you about our growth that haven't worked as well that we could talk about. Right. So to understand the success here, cause I, when we met for the first time, you told me where you're at as a business. And I was, I, I think I immediately responded with my, with my jaw on the ground and said, wow, that's really good. So you're in 70 communities today. You have never raised outside capital. Uh, you, that $39,000 credit card uh, got it off the ground. And where about are you with revenue, annual revenue? We finished 2023, just under 33 million. 33 million. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast and if you want to glorify bootstrap founder media companies that are ads based, that are hard to, hard to win, you're listening to someone right now that's, that's done it, uh, and done it well. And so let's dive into those details of how, how that happened a bit. When you look back of like special moments in the business, you know, your capital constraint, you're time constrained. You're also geographically constrained, which means there's addressable market stuff. There's a lot of choice that has to go through that and prioritization. When you go back and look in the history of the company, what are the critical moments that you were like, wow, that really was a turning point for the business for you? I think there's been several that have been huge. And I think it all starts with kind of risk taking. Like it's almost like this you don't know how big of a risk it, it is until you do it. So, I mean, for the very beginning, right? If you think about the, the math, you know, it costs us fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 just to print and mail the 60,000 papers, right? The post office doesn't take credit. Our printer in Dallas, for some reason, took credit. <laughs> like, they're crazy. And uh, they wouldn't do that today. So, so if you do the math, like, we have like one month, two months of runway if, if this doesn't work. So some of the key things that we did at the beginning that was really helpful, that was smart, that I wasn't this uh, hopefully will, will help people if they're thinking about starting a, a media company or trying to figure out how to cash flow this thing, is we did prepaid. We did two things we did that was smart. We did prepaid, so you got to pay ahead. And the second thing is 
when we launched, we told people, hey, your first month is half price if you sign a 12-time contract. So in our business, in the legacy media business, in particular, the daily newspaper business, the big mistake that they were making as 2005 happened, and, and, the, and they've just they've gone down this road in a, in a way that's hard to go back, is they got away from contracts. You know, it's software as a service. You know, it's advertising as a service, but ass doesn't work as well as SaaS does when you talk to people. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like that. uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's right. I don't, I don't think it'll stick, but uh, you know, I, I'm going to do what I can to make that a thing and I'm going to make sure you get credit. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes there. That's good. Uh, yeah. So anyways, you know, it's this idea. You got to get the, the business going. We, I knew month one, we had $16,000 of revenue book, but I knew because everything was half price that by month two, I was at 32,000, which was my break even point. So to me, it was like starting smart about how you collect money, how you set the agreements so that you have a long-term kind of game in mind. Those were kind of, that was it. And and listen, I mean, I have an advertising background, which there's a lot of people in our business that have a news background. And I knew that I had to get out there and pound the pavement. But I had this like, because of my thing, because of my experience at the Business Journal, I had a real appreciation for the content side. So I knew I didn't have the skills to write or to edit, but I could hire those skills. But I did have, I did have an understanding of what the, I felt like was missing in the marketplace from a content and information standpoint. Yeah. So to wrap that up, you know, being smart about the business, but also using your experiences in the past to learn from and to, and to frame, I think is really very helpful as well. TV to me uh, is the end all be all of the the height of profitable media businesses, right? TV has always been that and all the big dollars, right? And there's something to learn. They do upfronts, right? They collect all the contracts upfront and it's in the name. It's in the expectation. And in digital, that just didn't translate, right? Uh, it became a trade desk more so. It became more ongoing. And it's funny, you mentioned this about upfront contracts. I know uh, through interviews with the Morning Brew team, they did an upfront contract with Discover when they were getting started that like allowed them to cash to do that first year. And so... I think it's amazing advice for people getting off the ground. It's like the simple, simple ask of, hey, just pay this up front. Uh, and that cash flow is better than the discount that you have to give them, I can promise you. And Adam, I got to tell you, like one thing that people don't understand about entrepreneurs or people that are making these decisions, if you just tell them in the sales pitch that, hey, I have this vision, I think this is really important, and you can explain the vision of what you're doing and you ask them, will you help me? That is the human nature, man. That is powerful. I can't tell you how many business owners, one guy said that he thought I was going to lose my shirt when I told him what we were doing, but he wanted to help. And so he bought it out in the first, he, he didn't know that I was tricking him into a 12 time deal. But like, <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, like, Don, you're an ad salesperson at heart. That's never going to go away. Uh, that's for sure. But, but just add, you know, I mean, people want to help each other, right? Like, so I think that that's, a, that's another little nugget. I think we're in this new wave, to your point, of a lot of writers trying to run businesses. And this skill set of being afraid to ask is something that those skills of being a great storyteller and writer sometimes don't correlate with the confidence to be told no. And, you know, I, across the board, uh, I can tell you every single company I've done, what you're saying, it always comes back to those early, early people just giving you, even if it's a no, honest feedback. Uh, right. 
and those relationships go far away uh, without a doubt. And so I think there's a big lesson there. When uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, when you're talking about the growth of new cities, you know, I, I'm dabbling for the first time in choosing like how to expand categories or locations in a way uh, at work week. And uh, it's been a struggle, right? It's like a lesson you have to you kind of fail to learn and then you get better and better at choosing where to go. When you're in 70 communities now, what now today, how have you kind of created more of a process that you have a high amount of confidence in that you necessarily didn't know, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you're getting this off the ground? Yeah. I mean, I think so much about our business has changed. I think the pandemic obviously created a big piece of it, but for us, it's kind of like the game of risk. So we're geographically based. So the game of risk is you don't want to stretch too far outside of like your core area. If you play that game well, you kind of build a base up that's kind of hard to penetrate through. And so for us, uh, you know, we say we're hyperlocal journalism, hyperlocal news. We don't mean Austin. We mean, you know, we have 13 publications, 13 email editions in Austin that are hyperlocal. And so what, what happens in the geographic ad business is that somebody in Round Rock, which is a suburb of Austin, who has a successful business, they a lot of times they also have a successful business in Cedar Park next door. And so they like your product. It's a, it builds basically like a built-in network, a geographic network. And so to me, I think that that's as you grow, thinking about like lines that are either you know geographically or at least the advertiser has an interest in both subjects, I think is one one thing you, you should think about. And, you know, don't spread yourself out too thin. I think building that core base allows you to kind of experiment a little bit outside the lines. We did just launch a new way to go to market in Bastrop, which is a suburb of Austin. It's a little further out, so it's a little harder to connect the dots of advertisers. But what we did is we went to the market first. And I kind of learned this through 6AM City. I think I feel like they've done a really good job of that. And this isn't new, but they, you know, they would go and work with you know, economic development groups and that kind of thing. Well, we knew Bastrop wanted community impact. Right. But we it, for us to launch our traditional package, it would cost us about one hundred eighty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars of cash to get to that market. And then we, you know, we build it up. You know, we hope to to make profit, you know, 18 to 20 months is kind of our time time frame. And so anyways, um, what we did this with Bastrop is we went there first. We got we got core people that believe in what we're doing, that wanted to support it. And we started uh, email first. And so we're launching our first print edition in a few months here in March of 2024. We, we launched the, the digital edition, I think in September or October of 2023. So six months of digital email, build up the newsletter, build up the credibility of the journalism that we're doing, build up the relationships. We sold email sponsorships for $1,000 a piece. So almost day one, we were cash flow positive based on our expense structure. But when we signed those deals, we also signed people in March to do the kind of the print digital combo at $2,500 or whatever it was uh, a piece. So we already had that book revenue coming into March. So so that's that's one. <laughs> I think it's a really important piece. This goes into a little bit of what we were saying earlier, probably was for earlier entrepreneurs. This is probably for more mature people running these businesses. You know, you mentioned 6 a.m. Ryan, he will be on this season uh, just for everyone for full transparency, I'm on their board. So uh, familiar with that business quite a bit. But what you're talking about is essentially increasing your speed to cash flow positive on a, on a net new launch. That's uh, right. And 
there's really two aspects there that you probably had to go through phases. The first phase is like, is this geographical area the right one? Which right. you used advertising overlap, it seems, as like the, the biggest driver of that uh, geographical space. Yeah, we need strong local business marketplace. We've gone to some markets in the past where it's been like more big box of a community, and that is really difficult. So we need local businesses that understand how important local community is. They care about community news and they care about their community. So we need a, you know, we look at strong chamber of commerces, right? Like that's an easy way to look. We used to look at other publications, like did, were there other strong print publications, but there aren't that many strong print So <laughs> it's not surprising to be totally honest, but it is like, it's quite a large number. Even in like 2023, there was another like hundreds of print publications closed. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, something to note there, you talked about go to market strategy and getting cash flow positive faster, which is obviously sustainability and why those other publications are, are not that. But there's some choice that you made, right? You are a print publication first. Um, you mentioned now you're trying digital, which I would love to jump into, but you're a print publication. You do once a month, once a month uh, per community. When you think about, the industry in print, what do you think besides the cadence, which is a big difference, but besides that, what do you think you all have done that has allowed you to sustain more than the others? I mean, I think there's so many things. If I were running a legacy publication, it's really hard. Like the things that they're up against, you know, who wants to read a newspaper on a Tuesday, right? Like we're monthly. So I think everything about our model, we just kind of lucked into it based on, you know, the timing of 2005 and our resources and, just our vision of like trying to build a model that works. So I really have a lot of empathy for those that are running legacy legacy media because it's really, really difficult. I'll, I will say though that not across the board, but one of the things that I have been in a, a, kind of annoying about in our industry, if I go to industry trade show and they ask me to speak, I annoy the heck out of some people because they have this idea of digital transformation from the book, right? dual transformation that they don't, I don't agree with. Like, I don't think that they understand what the author is saying in my view. Dual transformation means you gotta, you gotta create a digital product, which it makes a lot of sense, but it's dual. You gotta transform your print product. Most of the people in our industry, the newspaper industry, I, I'm kind of feel like we're a little separate from them, but most people in the newspaper industry, they think that there's, the, they call it, they use the phrases like, we're running out of runway. Well. Adam, like if you look at the publicly traded companies that you can look at data, the New York Times, 40% of their revenue comes from their print product. You don't hear the New York Times. They said, we want to do 10 million digital subscribers, which they hit ahead of schedule. They've, they've totally dual transformed, but they to have hundreds of thousands, and most dailies now are down to tens of thousands, but the Dallas Morning News, for example, they have 69,000 print subscribers and 70,000 digital now, I think it's something like that. But those 70,000 print subscribers are paying $1,000 a year for their print product. You know how valuable subscriber revenue, reader revenue is, most of your listeners do. 70,000 people give you a thousand. I would say one of the opportunities in our industry is to invest in that print product. So now they just look at it as an end of runaways, runway. So they they don't care about how the, the format of the publication. We care a lot about that. We're fully, full color. We're stitched and trimmed. We care a lot about the product, the way it looks. Most of our peers don't. So I think thinking about the pro the print product differently, not only in terms of 
number of days, but they look at it as a, as a liability. And I look at it as like a huge asset. You know, uh, we had a flying uh, on here about a year and a half ago who they take pride in having a beautiful yes. magazine. Yeah. And it's incredibly profitable. Uh, they also be monthly though, uh, right? Uh, actually quarterly. They do even less. They do quarterly. And I think that is actually, I think when I think about your business and those choices that you made, the cadence, uh, Beck and I at Workweek have always talked about like there is no need to send a B2B newsletter more than three times a week. Honestly, two is plenty. One would be good because who wants to read about something deep in an industry topic five days a week? And what you're doing is saying, I, I think like, oh, I can make more money. So add another cent. And the challenge that we've always proposed to that, I think this is honestly a lot what you've discovered is you can do less and get more, more profit. Maybe top line is not as great, but like your margins are going to be better. Your operating efficiency is going to be better. Your scalability is better because you don't have all these deliverables all the time. Yeah. In digital, the incentive is a lot cheaper. So I think it people get a little more excited about it. But I mean, I think that cadence is something that's truly unique about what you chose to do. I think that's really true. And that's why I come with humility about like what these dailies like the Dallas Morning News are trying to do. Like that's hard. Like what they're trying to do is really hard. And by the way, like that, I do think that just side note is I think the Dallas Morning News is doing a really good job strategically. And I think they're going to be a company to watch uh, in the next few years, in my view. Well, and I, you know, I think the, the pushback on the print, right? And I think like thinking about it as a product is correct instead of thinking about it as liability. That's like a great mindset shift. I think it is, even with the times, their print only has declined for like seven years in a row. Digital and print has increased, uh, which this is to your point, right? Like if you're only offering this scope product, that's not what users want today. That's not what consumer behavior wants. They want some access digitally, but they also do appreciate having this thing delivered to them at a certain time of the week uh, or the month that they can hold. I mean, Adam, I mean, I, sort of, but did you know that New York Times last quarterly, their print revenue was actually up? In Q4? Yeah, whatever the last quarterly they ran, their, their print ad dollars were up. So like as a salesperson, right? Like what I notice in our industry is these large publications, they went from saying, hey, we're the Houston Chronicle to being rehearsed digital services. But Houston Chronicle and the Dallas Morning News and the New York Times, all these daily St. Louis Post-Dispatch, they have such great brand equity that they've just like, they've decided to destroy. I feel like part of it is they don't, they've lost how to sell to local mom and pops. They've lost it. If I'm delivering 70,000 newspapers a day to people who are paying it, that is a lot of value for a local advertiser. But they're not selling it like that anymore. They've kind of bent their ear towards digital reader revenue and they're not appreciating the print ad revenue and the print distribution, the incredible print distribution, the incredible, incredible brand equity they have. That's just my opinion. My former boss, uh, one of my former bosses that I learned a lot from uh, was a, what, oversaw the advertising team at the Houston Chronicle. And I was blown away with the CPMs and our, uh, the net RPM that they would make on that product. Mm -hmm. Can you enlighten the group? I think there's a lot of people here that when they're listening to this, they don't quite understand the print model. You know, they're used to more digital, either page view businesses or, or newsletters, et cetera. 
Can you kind of break down a little bit of like how many ad placements roughly are in a uh, publication and roughly like a CPM that that you guys normally capture around there? The way we approach business is just a little bit different than um, than kind of a traditional digital media company would obviously. What we think about is revenue per page. When you talk about print, right, our print products, we're thinking about revenue per page and we're trying to build rates that um, based on circulation because our paper's circulation go anywhere from 20,000 to up to over 100,000. So we're trying to build like a rate that if we sold 50% advertising in that it would basically have a nice, our goal is 30 to 40% margin, operating margin at the local level. So to us, it's kind of like, you know, every month we're looking at each paper saying, okay, this paper, it's kind of all this crazy, but this paper brought in $60,000 of revenue. The staff and the printing and um, mailing and all the cogs, you know, cost us $40,000 of revenue. We want. So th- that's kind of how we're, we approach it. We, we look at each paper as a store, kind of like a store model, and each has its own P&L. And at the end of the day, you know, is the market paying or is, a, is the individual publication delivering 20, 30, 40%? of operating margin or not. And if not, we're working on those things. Like why not? And how do we get those margins up? 33 million in revenue with uh, 20, 30% uh, operating margins, not a bad business. No, it's no, that, hold on. Let me be clear. That's, that's not net. Like that's, uh, no, 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 I'm saying, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I, I, that's how we're going to scale. That's how we've scaled it. Like that's what people we've, we've been able to build this company privately because we've been able to take all of those margins and just start new publications and, Add new things. Here's a tactical question. I met with a, uh, an, a media entrepreneur who they had numerous, he uh, was a house of brands model with shared services across sales and a few other things. How you said you broke things out by PL, by community, but I imagine there are some shared services. Yeah. Tactically, how do you split those expenses across that? What's your model to do that? Is it by revenue, revenue of that community into total revenue of the company? Is it by you know, um, just especially for, we all know the new ones are kind of the squeaky wheels that take up a ton of time, but do you separate that out or is it just kind of flat? I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. One of the things that we've struggled with is we have regional costs, right? So the cost of the Houston publication, the building, the regional managers, and then we have corporate costs, right? That, you know, the cost of me and everything that kind of creates everything to happen. So we've struggled over the years to figure out like the best way to apply the corporate allocation and the regional allocation. And then, then honestly, like, how do you make it efficient? Like there was a lot of inefficiency in our company that we found um, in the last few years that we've, we've really drilled into like middle management efficiency that, we, that I'm proud of the, the work we've done there to kind of cut costs. But the way we look at it is, is at Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio and Austin, they're delivering X dollars of profit at the operating margin of the newspaper. And then we're applying regional costs to that, to each metro. And then we're, then what is that number and how does that number apply to our overall corporate costs? And are we, are we in line there or are we making money? Right? Like at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Well, that, that's what this person and I were talking about quite a bit is if you have a business structure, that incentive alignment isn't totally there. So you have a regional person that has goals and you have another regional person leader that has goals or different brands. Well, like 
how much of that corporate time or, you know, how do you actually assign that? We're like, yeah, they, they look like it, but like actually, you know, it's just a really big challenge that I think a lot of media entrepreneurs are having and, and operating. And I think it even applies to scale. BuzzFeed with the house brands, I just like looked into this and talked about it. It's like, you don't know how much they're actually tasty, maybe making money, but like, yeah, because of the corporate allocations. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a really good question to ask. And especially as you think about scale, I think it's really difficult. I mean, what, who I look at that I, that ultimately that it's the idea of no man's land. Are you familiar with that book? If you're trying to scale a media company, I mean, you're in no man's land forever. It feels like, you know, because you've got to keep adding a talent at the corporate level, regional level to keep the quality up. So Adam, I think one of the advantages that I have, if you were to say like, oh man, he's like, I don't think I'm a private equity friend. Like I, I think I would drive private equity people crazy because I care so much about the product quality and the, and the mission of what we're doing and, and our people that like being privately held allows me to have less concern about margin. I got to make it, I got to make a profit, but I I'm able to like, think about it a little differently. And what I mean by that is if I've got a winner in the woodlands, which I do, I have a general manager that her name's Nicole and she is a winner and she continues to deliver to the bottom line. I need to make sure that I'm compensating her for that. And I'm not penalizing her profit that is helping fund other markets that aren't doing as well at the regional level. So I think what you got to think about is sometimes you can roll everything up as at the corporate level and be like, wow, like, well, thank you, Nicole. But like this other person's struggling over here. So like, I got to build your compensation around that. Like, man, it is a, it's a tension to manage and it's really hard. So that's why I like the strategy of saying, are we making money? <laughs> I think it's like really, really fair and something that uh, probably could dive into more and get a group together on. Cause that was exactly the person, the conversation I was having is they're like, I'm floating everyone else, but I'm not rewarded in the same sets. Right. And that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a real, that's a real tension. One of the last questions I, I love to, to ask on this is just looking forward your you own a print uh, machine you have a business that i think some look at and like really right um you as we talked about today like it is a is a heck of a business and and run really well but it is changing you know there's a lot of evolution happening uh across the board you're told me you're always trying to constantly learn the next new thing but when you take a step back and in five years from now what are you kind of most excited about of the the evolution of the industry and what's to come and in a positive way? Man, I'm so excited. Like I'm scared to death, honestly, but I'm so excited. I feel like I'm in that mode again where I'm about to to do something really big that's bigger than starting the papers. We built a printing plant in 2016, which was crazy. You know, like I am so excited right now. You combine what's happening in the digital marketplace, our email newsletter, right? Combine that with our print product. I, you know, I call it the digital, right? Physical plus digital. Like I think that's the future. You combine those two things together. And then all of a sudden there's also this wave of like in local news, this wave of like reader support that's starting to happen. That's like, oh wait, no one's covering city council anymore. We need to support that. So kind of a reader revenue model. You combine all of those three things into our footprint in Texas. And what my drive right now is I want to build the most trusted local news source in Texas. And I think it's there for the taken. I'm like up against some giants Hearst. Oh yeah. 
right? But I just feel like what's happening on the data level, I think I, I, what I get to do humbly, right, with real humility is I read, I listen to your podcast. I listen to Jacobs, a media operator. I listen to Simon Owens. I listen to Brian Morsey. I listen to these guys and I'm paying attention to what other people are doing. And when I, when I learn from what they're doing and I'm honest and I'm vulnerable about what I'm doing, I don't think of another media company, honestly, that I would rather be in running than Community Impact. We have 2.5 million distribution around Texas. We've got a great digital product that's coming up and coming. People love us. You know, people outside of our markets don't understand, but like you understand, I'm like, people love Community Impact. It's weird. And it's not just a bunch of old people. Like young professionals love CI. So when you think about five years, Adam, and I don't know, again, it's, 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 it's coming from, you know, a real place of humility. I, I pray that like we've been able to take advantage of the opportunity that I've been given and that we're, we, we've narrowed down on Texas and I, I want to, you know, I want to be the best in Texas. So, so that's, that's a good idea. idea. Uh, you know, you have Hearst, uh, Tegna, Seclair, and a few others that, uh, are in that and honestly they're they're training one way and you're training the other so it's i i believe that and and for everyone asking is like is this guy absolutely full of it thinking that young people like his his physical paper he's not kidding i've got it for years it has like a little bit of a nostalgia feel to it and then the content's actually just incredibly hyper local it's a really great product and so uh he's absolutely right and clearly that has translated to commercialization success so john thanks so much for coming on the podcast sharing a little bit of the insights of that. Congrats to the success. Uh, look forward to not only more issues, but for Community Impact to be be the leader in uh, the most trusted Texas Texas news source. Hey, Adam, thanks for grinding it with us and serving our industry, man. Thanks for being so vulnerable. vulnerable and I'm, I'm really grateful for you too. Thanks. All right. Talk soon. Thanks for listening. If you want deep insight and hot takes on the world of media, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. I'll see you next time.